If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 18, so you can start turning there now. <clears throat> Just want to f- wave a flag for the 25th of March. We're going to do a what we've called like a Freedom Day. It's a Saturday, 25th, and uh, we'll actually be over likely in the Caris Centre over in uh, Crawley where um, Steve Allison leads a church, and so we've asked if we can borrow their space. And we'd love you guys, if you want to come, to come and just be a part of that day, uh, hear some more of this teaching, have opportunity for prayer and response. It's going to be excellent. You can actually book in right now, so if you're really smart on your phones and you're quick and you're discreet, otherwise I'll pick you up on it. You can even do it right now. Um, yeah, with the, cold, with the cold weather, I've just been sort of thinking, and some friends have just come back from skiing, and it's got me thinking about skiing and snowboarding in the mountains a little bit. Has anyone give us a wave if you've been skiing or snowboarding before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, loads. Oh, it's just amazing. Man, I love snowboarding. I love the mountains. I love that place. And I was just thinking in preparation for today, just of the, there's these ski lift moments. If you haven't been, you've probably seen the things. There's two-person ski lifts or four or six or even eight in some of the big resorts. And you, you're heading up the mountains and it's amazing views. But for me, it's often an opportunity when I'm sat with people to be like scouting out what routes we might do. Uh, to kind of, you're looking at the, the, the tricky turns you might need to take on the way down, or, or maybe it's the, the features that you're going to explore and try that and do this. And you're looking at this stuff all the way up and talking and, and, and working out how you're going to come down, you get to the top. But just imagine, instead of at that point getting off the ski lift, uh, which usually as a snowboarder means absolute carnage and at least 12 skiers falling over with me, uh, but instead of doing that, you just make the turn and you start heading back down with all of your friends. You keep quiet until you get to the bottom. And then you make the turn, you come back up, and you start talking about the different turns, the tricky turns you might like to make, and maybe the moguls you might attack. But as a snowboard, I don't like moguls, so we'll leave the moguls. Maybe you're looking at the turns and the features you might like to explore. You get to the top, and again, you make the turn, and you're quiet on the way down. You get to the bottom as you start heading up. You start talking about the moguls you might do, but I don't like moguls because I'm a snowboarder. Um, You talk about the tricky turns you might take, And these things, and you go on, you get the picture, because all across the UK, every single week, there are Christians that come into church, and we hear the word of God, and we talk about it, and we we get excited, we get get stirred, we, we sort of feel like God's spoken into our life, and then we get into the week, and we remain seated throughout the whole week. We get to the next week. We hear, we're stirred, we're, we're sort of, oh yeah, our hearts are full, we get into the week, nothing changes. And this happens thousands of thousands. Churches are filled all across the UK. And there's nothing profoundly taken into the week. And I just want to say at the beginning, it's going to be a tough morning. But this morning, the world does not need to see believers coming down the mountain on their pews. The world needs to see believers taking the tricky turns at speed. They need to see the world. The world needs to see believers tackling these obstacles and these features and and having a go at things. It needs to see us going over moguls, although I don't like moguls because I'm a snowboarder. But you get the idea. Instead of coming out of this place unmoved, unchanged, I believe we've got an opportunity this morning for genuine radical change in our lives. It's not going to be an easy listen this morning. In our series on Freedom Encounter, which we're right in the midst of if you're new to us, then this morning's a tricky one because we're looking at forgiveness. Now, forgiveness has never seemed so attractive, and yet in reality, if you've ever tried it, been so hard, right? 
It doesn't matter how many times you speak on it or you listen to it. It could go a week and then there's more things. You're like, oh boy, forgiveness. Yeah, it sounds such a good idea. Lovely concept, Dan. But in reality, it's so, so hard. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would be with us. I ask instead of taking that turn at the top of the mountain, coming back down, only to start the whole thing again next week, would you let us know how you want us to to apply and to live in the good of the freedom that you offer? Lord, this this world is so tough. I can't imagine the amount of, of pain that has gone on in this room inflicted by others and by ourselves and all sorts of circumstances. But God, you give us the that you give us the way to freedom, which is forgiveness. I pray, Lord, you'd give us us faith this morning to take hold of your word and apply it. Amen. Amen. Matthew 18. It's entitled, The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You get the impression at this point Peter's trying to be generous. Seven. Whoa. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or in some translations, it says seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all your debts. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart, Jesus said. I love Peter. Um, He so often asks the question that we're all thinking, right? It's like he's probably got a scenario in his head, someone that's been annoying him, maybe it's John or James. The things they keep saying is just really winding him up. And so he asks Jesus, so how many times do I have to forgive? And he's asking the question we're all thinking, right? How many times with that colleague or that family member, or that person that you just bump into, how many, like seriously, that neighbour, how many times? And Peter asks it, I probably wouldn't have asked, uh, I prefer to be a bit further back and just hear other people ask the questions and then go, oh, I wouldn't have asked that. But he asks, 
and it's tough teaching. I've broken it down into three sections for us this morning. Number one, how important is forgiveness? Number two, what is forgiveness? What is it actually? What's the Christian teaching on forgiveness? And number three, how do I forgive? So firstly, how important is forgiveness? Like how, how, how much should we listen to this, Dan? Let's look at possibly the trickiest part in this scripture, which is from verse 32. And it just talks about how the master calls back in the servant. You know, he's been caught not being merciful, even though he was shown mercy. And so the master calls him back in, get back here and calls him, you wicked servant. I cancelled all your debts. Shouldn't you have shown mercy? And then in his anger, hands him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay it all back. And then Jesus says these words, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Jesus quite simply is saying that unforgiveness in our hearts will lead to punishment from God. But wait, Dan, what about the free gift of eternal life? What about grace, not deserved, not earned, a free gift given to us? Well, how does this whole work thing work? Are you saying, Dan, that if I forgive that person, then I earn eternal life? Is that how it works, Dan? Is it kind of a transaction like that? Surely that's legalism. Surely that's not what we've been talking about all these years. Well, that's not actually what Jesus is saying, although it is, when you first read it, quite confusing. We know it's not what he says. If you go a little bit further in Matthew 25, Jesus again is laying out some tough teaching. And he's saying, uh, to, he's, he's, he's saying that at the end time there will be judgment. And he will call to himself all people. And like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, you might remember this story, the sheep on his right-hand side and the goats on his left. And Jesus says that to the sheep on his right-hand side, he will talk to them and he will say, well done. You can enter my, you can enter my glory. And they're asking, why is this? And he says, because you showed mercy on the one that needed mercy, because you cared for the poor, because of that time that you clothed the naked, because of that time you fed the hungry. And they say to him, but we didn't, it wasn't for you, we didn't see. And Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And then Jesus says about the ones on his left, the goats. And he says they're to be cast into eternal punishment because they were not merciful to the one that needed mercy. Because they did not care for the prisoner. Because they did not clothe the naked. Because they did not feed the hungry. And they say, but where was it? He says, when you didn't do it for them, you didn't do it for me. You see, Jesus isn't saying that your forgiveness of that spouse or that family member will earn you eternal life. It isn't like that. Eternal life is a gift of God. But there's something about when we fail to forgive that reveals whether we have truly received God's mercy in our lives. It's like a window into our soul. Something that's so often hidden. How do we know how well we're doing? Well, forgiveness is like a window into the soul. A little illustration to help us. Imagine two grapevines, one next to the other. And one grapevine is laden with leaves and fruit. And it's just like, there's so much on there. And the other grapevine next to it, it's got nothing, neither leaves nor fruit. Now, you would look at the grapevine with nothing on it, and you'd probably assume it's diseased. It's maybe like we heard about that um, vine that's cut off at the root. Maybe it's, had, it's been cut off. 
Maybe it's dying. Maybe it's already dead. You would assume it's, it's not going well there. But when you look at the one with loads of fruit, it's not that the fruit is giving life to the plant. It's that the fruit reveals that the plant has life, right? You don't see all the fruit and go, oh, well, that's how it's, you know, it's, it's that the fruit reveals that the plant has life. And the dead plant reveals that the plant is either diseased, dying, or already dead. I don't think there's any better way to see whether we have a real relationship with God based on grace and mercy than if we will forgive. And if we find it hard, then it's like a window into the soul that maybe our foundation is on something else. So we're asking how important is it that we forgive? It's a matter of life and death. There's no way to soften what Jesus is saying here I'd love to say it in a different way, but he's saying, if you don't forgive, then my father's going to treat you like, he, like you heard in the story where he treated the, the servant that was not merciful even though he'd been shown mercy. The gospel of the Bible, the Christian message is that you have been forgiven an unpayable debt, something you could never have paid back your, yourself, and therefore the proper response is a transformed life. But we see in this servant's life that although he was forgiven, his life wasn't transformed at all. He went out exactly the same as he came in. At best, if we have unforgiveness in our lives, then we're being deceived. At best, we're being deceived. And by being deceived, we're being imprisoned by that unforgiveness. All the feelings that you feel when you think about that person feels like justified because of the wrong they did, but it's binding you up. At worst, though, it's leading you to death. And you should be aware of that. This is the warning that we get from Scripture. At, at best, you're being deceived. At worst, you're being led to death. You're, you're all looking very serious, which I suppose is a good thing, you know, because <laughs> it's serious words, hey? I think for some of us, they're little niggles that we've got going on at the moment in work. And they're little niggles. But every time you go in and you see that person, oh, they did it again. Can you believe it? They did it again. But we're called to forgive. Some of us have actually very, very deep-rooted things from childhood. And it's much, much bigger, more deep-rooted. Some of us, the pain was caused by family, by friends, maybe by strangers, maybe even by yourself. Maybe for some of us it feels like God did this. So we're holding stuff against him. Or maybe you're holding it against yourself. Maybe you keep just talking about that lady that did that thing to other people and you, you mask it in a kind of wisdom. It's like, just be wary of that person. You know, they're, they're, just be wary of them because they tend to do this. But what you're actually doing is you're actually wallowing in unforgiveness. We're masking it, we get clever at doing it, but actually it's unforgiveness at work. Marriages, boy, we need just daily unforgiveness. We need daily forgiveness, the fruit of it, don't we? It can build up over time. Perhaps there's some denial in this thing of unforgiveness going on in your life. Perhaps you're just like, oh, I think it's all good. But actually, if you were brought face to face with that individual or that situation again, all of the emotion would rush up again. Or maybe you know you're holding a grudge and you're just avoiding that individual. It's like, I, so long as I don't see them, we're not going to get into it. So I'm just going to avoid them, hoping you never come across them. If you hear they come to harm, well, so be it. 
you know, it's kind of where unforgiveness leads us. If we hear that person comes to harm, in some way, vindication. In some way, they got what they deserved. In some way, they have earned it and then they've, they've reaped what they sowed, right? And you hear those things. These are all signs of unforgiveness stirring around inside of us. A gentleman called, uh, it's a, a, a believer, Frederick, uh, I'm not even going to go for his last name, um, starts with B. Um, <laughs> he writes this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over the grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savour to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In so many ways, it's like a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. You see, the alternative to forgiveness is about, is about absorbing yourself. It's about, it's about going inwards. It's about the anger and the wrath that you feel. It's about stirring up those emotions, holding on to them. One day you'll get your comeuppance. The only problem is what you're chewing on is yourself because you're the one getting harmed. You're aligning yourselves more with Satan by doing that than you are with Jesus Christ. These are serious things. As you, as you go over those situations that you would like to replay differently or maybe the opportunity you might one day get, you're siding with Satan, not with Jesus Christ. So what is forgiveness? Well, this, this, this verse that we've got in Matthew 18 is so, so helpful. Verse 27, let's just have a look at that. This is how the master treats the servant. The good analogy, if you like. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. Take pity, cancel debts, let them go. This is what true Christian forgiveness means. Take pity. What does it mean to take pity? It doesn't mean to sort of patronise. It doesn't mean a sort of there, there. The word really means is, is to identify with the other person, to identify with them. Now, you need to know unforgiveness, what's actually going on there is you're looking to separate yourself with them. I would never do what they've done. You might talk to friends and, can you believe it? I'd never do what they've done. You're separating yourselves from them. You almost, you almost they become a caricature like a monster. You, you God, they're, they're awful. I would never, whereas genuine forgiveness, number one, take pity. It looks to identify you ever heard of one of those caricature artists or seen what they do? Um, Leanne in our office caricatured me for one of the kids' works. She told it was me. Obviously, when you look at it, you go, ouch. I tell you, you've got to be quite you know, strong inside to, to want to see a caricature of yourself. Because the caricature artists, what they do is they blow out of proportion the bits of you that are slightly out of proportion, right? That's what they do. So, so if you've got big ears, they make them bigger. If you've got a small nose, they make it smaller. You know, it's, it's brutal. That's what the caricature artist does. And this is what we do with one another when we have unforgiveness. We caricature each other. Instead of identifying with the other person as a human being, we caricature them. If they told you a lie maybe once or twice, they become a liar. 
He's a liar, always lying. Everything that comes from his mouth lies. You caricature them. Now, if I was to catch you on a lie, if I was to say, have you, you ever lied? You'd probably, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's, it's complicated. Did you lie to your kids? Well, yes, but you know, it's really complicated. I, like the options were this or this. What you don't tend to do is caricature yourself. Yeah, because I'm a liar. I, I, did you ever lie? Yeah, I'm a terrible liar, always lying. That's, that's me. You don't caricature yourself. What we do is we caricature other people. And we ourselves, well, barely ever lie. But if I do, it was justified. Pity looks to identify with the other person. It's a humble thing to do. But we identify. I remember in one situation in my 20s where something very close to me had built up over years. And, uh, oh, man, I just found it so hard. Every time I saw the individual, they kind of they added to the foundation that proved who they were to me. And I was just like, see, I, oh, man, I couldn't even see it in any other way. And it was only in time with God. It totally caught me by surprise. It was in a time of worship. And God just melted me. And I suddenly saw with the same scenario, with the same upbringing, the same pressures, the same people around me, who's to say I would not have turned out the same? And I couldn't stand before God and say, yeah, I would have done. I would have been stronger. I couldn't. I could see for the first time how they had overcome so much of the life they were given and become something so much better, and yet I was still caricaturing them. Firstly, pity. You identify. Secondly, cancel the debt. This is a really important part. So the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt. Jesus once said, didn't he, to his disciples, who, who loves more, the one who's been forgiven much or the one who's been forgiven little? And the disciples did well. They said, well, the one who's been forgiven much will love more because of the great debt that they've been forgiven. We must understand the debt that we've been forgiven. If you're trying to forgive, you're trying to have pity, you're trying to cancel the debt, and you're doing all that without understanding first the debt that God Almighty has cancelled over your life, then it's uphill all the way. But if you suddenly see the debt that has been cancelled against your name, that your name had a debt against it, and it was unpayable, it was, you, could never, you could never give it back. When you see that, it gives you power to be able to forgive others says, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold brought it to him. This is the servant that was unchanged. Now, one denarii, uh, scholars will write, is about one day's wage, a denarii. So 300 denarii was about a year's salary. So from there, they've worked out that either this guy owed billions or maybe even a trillion. It doesn't matter if it's you that owes that debt me that owes that debt or Jeff Bezos nobody's paying that back it's unpayable you could work all your life and you would still be in debt that's the point and Jesus is saying that God the father has cancelled that debt against you everything wrong you might think I haven't done that many things wrong I bet even this morning we looked down on someone even this morning there was something of selfishness or you know and all of this builds up and even if you've done one of those against the holy God you've fallen short but with everything, with my lifetime's worth of wrong, man, I can't pay it back. But God cancelled it against us. That's the mercy and the grace of God. 
But what Jesus is saying is that someone had to pay that debt. If number two is cancel the debt, then it's not like that debt just disappears. Someone's got to pay it. That's what's hard about forgiveness. That's what is genuinely very hard. We don't often think about this because we think forgiveness should be a lovely feeling. And so we wait to feel the feeling and then we'll forgive. It's not. It's a very hard choice. If you wait for the feeling, you'll never get there. Just imagine on your way in today, I was waiting for you in the foyer, and as you're walking up to the glass, you chipped a stone. Maybe it was an accident. And as you hit the stone, it smashed the glass. And you came in, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry I broke the front glass. I would say, don't, hopefully, (laughs) you know, unless it's a bad day. um, But hopefully I would say, don't worry, we'll sort it. Does that mean that no one's going to pay for the glass? No. It just means I'm not holding it over you. You don't have to pay for the glass. I will pay for the glass. Someone's still going to pay that debt. That's why forgiveness is a form of suffering. Because if you're going to forgive the other person, it's going to cost you. That's why it's a form of suffering. If we're waiting for feelings, it will never come. It's an active choice to forgive. I tell you, it's powerful. And it's what the world needs to see. It's one of the features that the world needs to see us taking on. You're choosing to pick up the bill that someone else charged. And so forgiveness is importantly a form of suffering. By forgiving, you are aligning yourself with the very journey that Jesus Christ took. The suffering that he went on. You're saying, I'm choosing that by choice to follow the gospel. Not to follow my own will, but to follow him. Lastly, we let them go. Servants master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, let them go. What's so ugly about the servant that then goes free is he then grabs hold. It's it's like almost comic, isn't it? He chokes this guy, finds someone that owes him 50, 100 quid, having been cancelled billions, starts choking him. Give me what you owe me. And the guy asks the very same question, please have mercy. He says, no, you're in prison until you can pay that debt. The, the one who has received grace remains untransformed and it's a window into his soul. And that's why the master comes back at him so hard. He sees he's unchanged. Even though he is forgiven, he is not forgiving. You've been forgiven. Are you willing to be forgiving? Do you understand the debt that was paid for you by Christ? Do you see the insurmountable wrongs that we had done through our lives and our deeds? I mean, each one of us, cancelled by the grace of God. And are you still choking someone in your life? And maybe it's real and painful. By the way, forgiveness never takes justice lightly. Don't make that mistake. Don't think by forgiving them... You're saying, oh, it was okay, it didn't really matter. No, it did matter. The wrongs that will have happened in this room really did matter. Justice really does matter. The Bible speaks a lot about justice. But if you're trying to seek justice before you forgive, you'll actually be seeking vengeance. And the skeleton at the meal will be you because you'll be chewed up by it. I remember, I remember a neighbour coming to me because we had 
we'd been, as a family, we'd been taken for a ride by a builder. Thousands they'd taken, right? And I've told this before, so uh, bear with me. Uh, thousands, and they'd gone off, and it had been spent on drugs. Never going to get it back. And they owed loads of people. So lots of people taking them to court. And, but very, in a very real way, it caused me sleepless nights. I started such, I had such tension and such anxiety. I actually cracked four of my own teeth at night without realising it. It was really affecting us. I felt stupid. I felt angry. Like, how can this happen? Like, I'd saved for years for this and then just gone and taken and so annoying. But I remember one day coming in here and hearing a preach on forgiveness and just going, boy, I've got to cancel the debt. I've got no other choice. The, the meal I'm eating is me. So my choice is either keep doing that or trust in the grace of God and forgive. So we did. Sleep came back. Peace came back to my life. Um, it, was, it was pretty instantaneous for me, I guess, because it was so on the surface. And I remember telling my neighbor what had happened, having a conversation out the front of our house. And this guy used to be in the army and now works in private security. And uh, he was saying to me, Dan, do you, want me to, do you want me to take this up for you? Do you want me? Yeah. And I was like, what? Tempting? No. Um, and I said to him, I said, I, actually, we've chosen to forgive. We've chosen to cancel the debt. And he looked at me and he said, you're so weak. It's because of people like you that he will carry on doing this. It's because of people like you that, that people get taken for a ride. You should stand up for yourself, Dan. You're weak. I was like, boy, been robbed, and I'm now getting, like, <laughs> shouted down on my doorstep. And it gets you thinking, doesn't it? Maybe I am adding to this. I don't think it would have been wrong to take the guy to court. Justice. If I genuinely thought other people were going to be taken for a ride to protect them, I would have done. If I thought it was going to be for his benefit as well, because that's how far love goes, doesn't it? Actually cares for the perpetrator, you identify with them. If I thought it would have helped him to actually go through something and to, to not do that anymore, then I would have done. But for me, I could not even go near that as I was because I was chewing up myself. It would have been vengeance. I wouldn't have been seeking justice at all. I would have been seeking vengeance. I wanted my pound of flesh out of him. That's why I had to forgive and for us, it meant not going after the debt. The cross is not light on forgiveness. It was the most powerful gift of God, enormously costly. It cost the father his son, and it cost the son his own life. The perfect one, who had done no wrong, laid it down for you. But the cross is also not light on justice. You see, it paid the penalty for our sin. It's not light on justice. Colossians 2, 14. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Someone had to pay for it. It's not light on justice. It's not light. So forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering endured for the greater good and for his gospel. We're going to start looking at what this looks like and we're going to stand and pray in a minute. I wonder if, is Hillary still here? Would she? Yeah, thank you. Would you come and give us some coverage of the piano in a minute? Thank you. I want to give some pra practicals because it's like a pantomime. What's, shall I stand behind you, Hillary? Is that? 
some practicals. I think the first and most important one is it's an active choice. Scripture talks about granting forgiveness before you feel it. I think the world wants us to believe that when you feel it, then you come along to forgive. When you feel in the right place, when, when you've seen maybe things are changing in the other person, then forgive. The Bible talks about granting forgiveness and then feeling forgiveness. We need to ask for help for this. I'm under no illusions how hard this is and how for many of you, the things are deep in your life. So ask the Holy Spirit because he's your counsellor and he will help. He's a very real help in times of trouble. And as you come face to face with unforgiveness and you realise the route it's leading you down is either at best deception, but at worst death, he's your help in times of trouble. Community. I don't think we often think like this. I think often we're told that forgiveness is an internal thing alone that we have to deal with and we deal with it in the quiet space. Actually, scripture talks about being a community thing. We help one another. We pray for one another. We forgive one another. We take even a brother to one another to try and reconcile. We support each other. Forgiveness is something actually done in community for the greater good. Jesus talks most often response by Jesus the most common emotional response is this his heart was moved or his heart went out to them powerful isn't it Jesus the perfect one identified with us he identifies with you he was perfect none of us are yet he sought to identify with you his heart went out to you this is what forgiveness is and lastly just a practical this has to happen today tomorrow the next day it will become a practice in your life that will become more natural and you'll get better at but it's something we have to keep on going through because life's messy Jesus says in Mark 11 when you stand to pray forgive it's like he's expecting you're going to stand to pray today you're probably going to stand and pray tomorrow every time you do forgive it means taking pity, cancelling the debt, and letting them go. Should we stand together? Should we just take a moment to think about God and what He's done? This is your God who came to the earth He created, even when it had gone wrong. Have mercy. invites you, any one of you, maybe you've never responded to the love of God, to respond. And it says that anyone that does that, he will grant eternal life. He's so generous, so generous. Think about him. The one who, even whilst nails were being pierced through his skin, his hands, his feet, the weight of his body pulling on them, and he said this, Lord, forgive them.
see the church letting go of debts that have been held so tight so that the world can see the love of God and the love that he has for them and how he will also forgive them and cancel his debt. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring to mind anyone right now where there is a debt being held. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to even right now identify to grant freedom and then allow us to feel freedom's touch in our lives right now. I pray, Heavenly Father, right now, love be poured into lives. Maybe we're worried about the emotions we might feel. Lord, I pray the love of God come and backfill all this world's pain. You swap ashes for beauty. Do it this morning. My name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. 
We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.